Good, good morning, morning, guys. Good morning. Yeah. yeah. Well, well we're, thank you. Good, good morning to you as well. I pray the Lord finds you in a very good health, and I know that life is a challenge, but thank you for being here and challenging it with us together. Amen. We have a few people that the wind really just kind of tore some up, some people up. There's people that are having respiratory problems, and we want to lift those up in prayer right now. Any other prayer requests that we might have while we do that? Yes, James. Okay. That was, that was the person I was thinking of. Uh, she called, or text at least, and let me know what's going on. Yes, Ken. For Kelly. All right, we'll do. Yes. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Well, we'll keep him in prayer. All right. Please keep us posted as far as what's going on there. For winter. All right. You look wonderful today. <laughs> you smile. I know it. <laughs> Very good. Well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, it is so good uh, that we can come together uh, as brethren and sisters, Lord. As, as one family, we come together to you. We come to glorify you and to bring you glory. We recognize where you sit. We recognize where you are. Uh, you're not a God that changes. You're not a God that is fickle. You're not a God that is uh, precarious, that tells us only if or when. God, you love, and that's all there is to it. And you love, Lord, with a, with a justified love, with a, with a righteous love, with an indignant love, in the same manner that, that you rule this, this universe, all of creation. And we know, Father, that everything follows you and, and obeys what you say. The wind obeys where it is to blow. and The, the waters and the ocean, they, they go back and forth as the moon acts like the maid that cleans out the ocean. And the mountains, they rumble. And, they, and the trees, they grow. And, and everything lifts its voice up to you and lifts its hands up to you. And lifts its every being, every star, every sun, every molecule obeys your command. And Father, we want to be in that same uh, obedience. And we know that man is the only one out of all creation that will decide not to or not want to. And we pray, God, that we can change that first and foremost within our lives and, and also within those uh, that are around us as well as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we lift up to you those that are ailing this morning. I pray for my sister Jan. I, I lift her up to you. I, I pray, God, that you just help the doctors find some way to, to relieve this breathing issue, especially when the winds kick up like this. We lift up to you our sister Joan that has been, uh, been home all these months. And, uh, Father, just continue to be with her and strengthen her and her family, her son. And, and I also pray for Lucy and, uh, and, and her family and Manny. And, and, Lord, I know that she's been going through a lot in her uh, just the many things that she's been going through as far as, far as uh, Ralphie and uh, Marcella as well. I, I lift up to you, Wilbur and Lucy as well, Lord. And I just pray that you continue to bless them and minister to them. For uh, We also pray for Danny and for Sylvia and, and for uh, little Ernie, Lord. I, I, we lift them up to you. Just the many things that they've struggled with in life. And, and I pray, God, that you just continue to be with them. Pray for those that are here this morning. Like Winter, I, I know that you're working something within her. And Father, we're just expecting some great news and, and some great... Uh, just accomplishments that are going on with her life and, and everything that's happening in and around her. And we also pray for uh, Eileen's dad, Lord, that, that is struggling with this COVID in the hospital. Just give him, give him the grace and the, and the nourishment that he needs right now. Bring people around him that will be able to, to minister to him and to minister to his heart and to his salvation, Father, that it is secure and that it is within you, Lord. We also pray for Kelly and, and uh, all the things that she's gone through in these last years, Lord. It just It seems like years. So strengthen her, and I thank you for Ken and the strength you give him to minister to his wife while he ministers here at well. And Lord, we, I pray for my family that the uh, funeral that we'll be doing this week. And, and Lord, I just, I, I just know that you're in the midst of it all. 
And so, Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity to, to see the light that you have given us, to understand the light, to look at the light. And I pray, God, that today we can leave this place with a better understanding of what it is that you, decide, you desire for us as children of light and how you desire for us to grow. And we want to grow, Lord. That's why we're here. We desire to get closer to you. And we fall short, always, Lord, we fall short of the, your glory, as the word says. But, Father, you pick us up, you dust us off, and you move us along the way. And I pray that our desire, our heart is totally bent on you, on the light and not in the darkness. So lead us this morning in all things, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. Let's open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 through 14. And we're going to dive right in because we have been going through this portion of Scripture and there's a lot that is packed in chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 7. Because if you're there already with me, you'll see that the very first words is, therefore. And I always like to go back and kind of review a little bit about what, God, uh, what Paul has been talking about. There are two things that he mentioned to us. Number one, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, walk worthy of the call that you have received. We are to have a worthy walk of what we have received. And remember, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He, he suffered and, and he took upon all our sin and took our sin and placed it upon himself. And he became our redeemer. He paid for us. See, he created us. Don't know if you know that or not, but when we get into Colossians, we'll see that he is the creator of all things. All things were created by him and for him. And not only is he, did he create us, but he also paid for us. We are twice his. So Paul is emphatic about this walk. And we'll see as we go through this, this epistle and later on in, in the rest of the epistles that Paul is just, just calling us to walk this walk. You say you're Christians. You say you're believers. Walk it. Do it. And the second thing he says is in chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. So walk the worthy walk and imitate God. Those are two things that we are to do in this world. And, and if you were to take a self-assessment at this moment in time, and I would to ask you to, to, to uh, rate yourself, grade yourself in this last week, were you able to say that you walked with all diligence and all all necessity and everything that you had to be able to walk the call that you have been called? Have you been imitating God? And, and I can tell you for myself, I would fail it miserably at that test, but my desire is to continue to walk that walk. I, I cannot say that I, I love God with everything that I am, with all my heart, my soul, my mind. And, and it's not that I'm thinking of bad things. Or it's not that I'm not you know doing bad things. It's just some of the things that I do uh, are not God glorifying. Like for instance, I, I, the Bible says that we are to think on God with everything that we have, with everything that we are, with everything that we do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything. And there are times that I just don't think about God. You know, it's not that I'm thinking about bad things. I'm thinking about my grandchildren. I'm thinking about my wife, you know, I'm thinking about our anniversary that's coming up, you know, 40 years. We're, we're going back and looking. Wow, this has been a, a journey. God has been so grateful and we have been so thankless at times. And so to say that that I think on God every single moment of my I don't I fall short. I fall short and, and I go forward and I, I ask God, help me, Lord, into working that that salvation out in my life, as Paul says, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, but work out your salvation. Like a farmer works the ground, not to get more ground. Like a bodybuilder works out his body, not to get another body, 
but to, to, to be able to develop fruit as a farmer would or to develop uh, results as a bodybuilder were to do. And what Paul says is to work out your salvation. Work it out every single day. And that is what we're called to do. This is why it's important to start the word uh, every morning with the word. Start the word morning every morning with a prayer, with a thanksgiving to God. It's important to, to focus on God's word because that's going to get you going in the right direction. Now, is it going to keep you there? No, but you'll fall and that'll be in the back of your mind. You'll get back up and say, okay, Lord, I failed you in that part. And God says, I know. I know. You are not yet made perfect and so he is saying, be imitators of God as beloved children in love. And, and, and the one thing that, that he's talking to us today, he says here in verse 7, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkened. And remember, we were talking about those that are sexually moral, impure, or covetedness, idolaters. Uh, they, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And we talked about that for the last couple of weeks. And so Paul says, don't partner with them. Do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful portion of scripture that challenges us to be children of the light, to walk as the light and not in the darkness, Lord, not to associate in the darkness. This is a difficult message for some. And I pray, Lord, it's a challenging message for others. But Lord, I pray that it's all together just the goal of every believer to walk in the light. That is what you've called us to do. So thank you, Father, as you lead us this morning, we pray in Jesus name. And everyone says, Last week we talked about the scriptures. I showed you some verses about how light has two aspects, the intellectual and the moral. The intellectual represents the truth, whereas the morally it represents the holiness. In other words, to live in the light, therefore, means to live in truth and holiness. The figure of darkness has the same two aspects. Intellectually, it represents ignorance of, and falsehood, whereas immorally, it connotes or talks about evil. The intellect aspect of the both figures uh, is about what you know and what you believe. Intellectually, uh, when you talk about light intellectually is what you know and what you believe and the same thing happens in the darkness on what you know and what you believe and the second aspect it pertains to what you think and what you act how you think and how you act so there's things that you know about the light and there's things that you do because you're in the light in the same way darkness in the bible it always talks about the things that you know and you believe and then the things that you do so in scripture the bible always contrasts the two, light and darkness, light and darkness. And there's always that, that dual uh, enemy that's out, excuse me, not enemy, but there's that dual, uh, I don't want to say spiritual nature because God's is the only spiritual nature. The other one is just the dominion of darkness. Many people would say that there's over 4,500 religions in the world. The Bible teaches that there's only two. It's only God and Satan. That's it. And everything that may sound good but is not aligned in Scripture comes from the enemy. And everything that is good and comes from the Scriptures, and you can back it up by Scripture, is, is from God. This is why it's important to only look at the Scriptures, not outside sources. I can tell you all kinds of things that sound good. 
And I can tell you all kinds of things and share with you on how to live life. And I can be a motivational speaker in a sense. I can probably make a whole lot of money doing that if I can, you know, just show you how to live your life step by step. But if it's not aligned with scripture, then it's useless. And we've said this many times before that if it if it aligns with scripture, if the what you're hearing from other people and if it lines up with what the Bible teaches, well, then you don't need it because you already have scripture. And if it doesn't align with scripture, you don't want it. You don't want it at all, because if it goes with God's word, then what more do I need is God's word. What I need is more of God's word to understand what God is saying, to understand what it is that God wants me to do. This is why he gave us Light. This is why he gave us, I will explain that here in just a little bit. But you see, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, <clears throat> and this is, this is not in your outlines, but I'm hoping that it'll come up right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it says that in their case, the God of this world, he's talking about the unbelievers, the, those that are not part of uh, the kingdom of light. In their case, the world, now look at this, he's saying the world. The world system belongs to Satan. The world is what's out there that's blinding people. The world is the things that you see on TV, culture, and everything else. The world is what most people are following. God says, follow his word. Not the world, but the word of God. In their case, Paul says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. That's what this world is designed to do. This world is designed to keep you in the darkness. It's designed to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People say, I want to see God. Well, look at Jesus Christ. When people become Christians and they've committed their life to Christ, the first thing I tell them to do is read the book of John. You can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but John kind of stands on its own. And John has a lot of information that, that focuses on who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 1, chapter 1, it starts off with, Jesus is God. And you come to know who God is by coming to know who Jesus is. And then you go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then read John again. And you come to know who Jesus Christ is, because when you know who Jesus is, you'll know who God is. That's who the gospel of the glory is, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who, Paul says, is the image of Christ. Remember last week we talked about how things of this world seem to be clouding our judgment, clouding our vision. We don't see, as a matter of fact, Isaiah spoke about this 800 years before Christ was born. He said in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What, what Isaiah was saying, he prophesied, it, it's, been a, it's been an ongoing process from the beginning of time. The God of this world wants to keep people in the dark. And we use things, the world uses things such as uh, philosophy or ideologies or socialism or, or all these various types of things out there that are apart from God's word. If you're not looking at God's word, you're going to fall for all these darkened things and your eyes will be closed and you will not see the light. So Paul says in Romans 13, 12, let us cast off the works of darkness. That is an imperative. That is a command. You are to cast it off. You are to take it off. It's like taking off that old coat. Like we talked about this being the old man, the old man, take off the old man, put on the new man. And you take that, take that off, all that stuff. 
that all of a sudden you can see. And when you become a believer, when Jesus Christ wakes you up, your eyes are opened, and you're awake from your sleep, your slumber. When you've woken up, all of a sudden, now you see what the world has been closing on you. You might know, you might understand, you might think about God and know that there's a creator. However, you've never been challenged to follow the light. Because to be honest with you, the darkness is a lot more fun. The Bible says that sin is fun. And because sin is fun, more people run to the darkness than they do to the light. If sin was a bummer, nobody would do it, right? So Paul says, cast off the outer darkness. And then he says this in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, you know what the Bible says? We call him out to be a liar. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You can claim to be in the light. You can claim to see the light. You can say, I saw the light. But if you continue to walk in darkness, the Bible says you're a liar. And there's no truth in you. How can you say you're in darkness, in light, when you're literally in dark? You don't see the light. If you walk into a dark room, and this is the beauty about the light. Light, darkness travels faster. Let me get this across to you. Darkness travels faster than the speed of light. The speed of light, you flick on a switch and the room can be pitch black and dark. And the moment you flip on the switch, that light just takes over. And it consumes that dark room. And that darkness moves faster than the speed of light. All you need is light. But if you look very carefully in the crevices of that room, of your living room, in the dark corners, you'll spot some darkness. You get behind the couch, behind the bookshelf, behind the TV. The light is on, everything is on, and you can't find where to plug in the HDMI cord, the one or the two, and you're, where is that? So you have to do what? Get a flashlight. You have to shine the light into the darkness to see what it is that you like. Now, let me share this with you. People that claim to be in a lit room and say, I want to watch TV, I love watching TV, I just want to watch uh, my favorite episode. I want to watch Pastor Sal on Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. I want to, I want to watch something, uh, that was for you, Jen, that I want to watch something that is going to entertain me. But the cord has gotten unplugged. And so now I got to go find where that cord goes. And you plug it in and you turn off the flashlight and you just keep your head behind the TV. This is good. Oh, I like this. Oh, I love just, just you know, I'm just going to listen to it. And I'm not going to be partakers of that, what I'm watching. Claiming to be in the light, yet living in the darkness is what a lot of people claim that they do. And so here's the thing that Paul is telling us. I, I want you to see this, Paul says. I want you to be an imitator of, of God. I want you to walk the walk that is worthy. I want you to do that. So number one in your outlines, number one, you were dominated in darkness. Paul wants to make that clear. There was a time that you were dominated in, by darkness. And each one of us, until we came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, it was the darkness that operated our lives. And for those of you that have committed your life to Christ and are trying to make that change, follow what God is saying, and you're seeing that, you know, I can't believe I used to do those things. 
and, and after a few months, you're going to keep looking. Man, I, that, that's, that's just like, uh, I can't believe I used to do those things. And it should come to a point in your life where that sin that you used to do sickens you. It just tears you up. Man, I can't, I can't believe I used to do those things. Now, here's, the, here's what happens. I'm not saying that you become perfect. You may fall and you may fall into it. And you may do that. But you'll jump right back out. And, and some people, you know, they jump and they jump out. They jump and they jump out. And, and it's fun. A true believer would be sickened to death to the point of repentance and crying and begging, God, please forgive my unfaithfulness. I cannot. Be, it's like a, the Bible says it's like a dog going to its vomit. You ever see that happen? Dog. <laughs> Next time you watch a dog vomiting and then licking it up, that's what you are. When you sin, when you claim to have the light. You were dominated by this darkness. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. The Bible says, don't, don't, don't partake with them. For at one time, you were darkness. You know, and, and there's some things that are not in your outline. And, and I'm just going to kind of very quickly go over it. Because the darkness reveals a couple of things. The kingdom of darkness. First, uh, you were, you, were dark, you were dead in your trespasses, Paul says. You were dead. And the reason why we liked darkness is because dead people like darkness. The dead love the darkness. That's where they sit. They lay in their coffins, their sarcophaguses, and in the graves, and in the tombs. And they're in darkness. And the dead love darkness. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. And then in verse 2, he says, in which you once walked. He's talking about this back in chapter 2. Following the course of this world, this darkened world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Paul has already set this out. He theologically explains it to us. This is where we were. And now he's telling us, this is who you are. Among them, we, uh, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature, the Bible says, children of wrath, like the rest of humanity. For Christians, both an intellectual and moral darkness are things in the past, things that we used to do. If you keep going back there and reminisce, oh, the good old days. I remember the good, oh, we used to do this. And we, I mean, we'd stay out all night. And, you know, sometimes we'd run into somebody. And, and, and if that's where you are, that should sicken you. That should not be the lifestyle of a believer, especially one that has seen the cross. The second thing is, uh, that I want to share with you is that the scriptures place, uh, speak of a person being in the darkness, uh, say that they were in the dark. Before we came to Christ, our total existence was in the darkness. And spiritual darkness it has to do with the deeds of Satan, first of all. The deeds of Satan. Spiritual darkness is talking about what Satan does. He's the father of evil. He's the father of the devil. And, and, and that's all he does. That's all he knows how to do. He has children that are his. Jesus says, you are children of the devil. And Jesus says, those are children of God, of Abraham. And there's only two. He doesn't say there's 4,500 different types of ways that you can probably get to heaven. No, there's either God or there's Satan. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, you are your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. That's what they do. That's what I did. I did exactly what this verse was saying. I, I used to think that I was free. I'm going to do my own thing. I ain't let nobody tell me what to do. It's just me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And, and 
The Bible teaches us, no, you are a slave to sin. You are of your father, the devil. You're not doing what you want to do. You're doing what he wants you to do. And as good as you might have been, and as great as much help as you might have given to just about anybody, the Bible is clear that without Jesus Christ, you don't make it into heaven. And this is hard for some unbelievers to wrap their mind around, to think, but that person was a good person. They were a very good person. Yeah, maybe they cussed a lot, and they, they, they didn't like church, and they didn't like God, and they used his name in vain, you know, but, but those are just some, some faults. But this person was typically good. They have to be in heaven. The Bible teaches, no, either you are a child of God or you're a child of Satan. The second thing that darkness typifies is that it's the domain of Satan. That's where he lives. That's where he lives. That's where he cohabitates. That's where he's, he's, he's at. We will see in Ephesians 6 as we get there here pretty soon. That Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present, what? Darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You know, and I'll explain this in a little bit more detail. But basically, when Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My problem is not with, if James and I had a problem, my problem is not with James. We don't have a problem, by the way. Okay, good. <laughs> so I can use this as an example. <laughs> my, no, 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 not at all. Okay. My problem is not with James. I'm just kidding, brother. I know that. And it's not with James. The, the flesh and blood do not have the problem. The problem is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers. It is dark and present age behind, that are behind the scenes. And they're using us, husband and wife, mother and child, dad and son, it's, it's that the spiritual forces that are behind the scene trying to chip away and chip away and chip away everything that is good. It's not between you and your, pick your favorite topic or the one you have a problem against. It's not between you and them. It's not between flesh and blood. All these things that are going, it's happening in the domain of Satan. When we get to chapter 6, Paul shows us how to put on our spiritual armor. That's why we have to be ready. Put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, uh, the, the, the feet shod with the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, and the sword. And Paul will show us and we'll, we'll describe this in detail so you can understand how it is you are to stand and be ready. Because it will happen. It will happen. Number three, the third thing I want you to know about spiritual darkness. Again, this is not in your outline. You might want to write this down somewhere. Darkness brings destruction. Darkness brings destruction. See, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming upon the darkness. The light is going to shine, and all this darkness is going to go crammed up into one corner. And everywhere in a room, you can find that darkness. And it's always compounded and compressed into one corner. That corner, that place where you find the darkness used to fill the room until the light got there. And that darkness that God is compressing and he's bringing it all together, he's going to cast it into the everlasting fire that God calls hell. The Bible calls it hell. This is where that darkness is going. This is why we must be children of the light. This is why we must walk as children of the light. The last thing I want to share with you is, uh, the, well, in this part, is the destiny of darkness. The spiritual darkness leads to the ultimate death. Jesus said in Matthew 8, 12, he's, he's talking about the parable, he's talking about how, how, these, how people are acting in, in the, this kingdom and that kingdom, and he's talking about the kingdom of darkness. He says, this, while the sons of the kingdom of darkness, you can put in there, will be thrown into outer darkness. 
that in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not too sure what gnashing of teeth is, but I can just imagine that it's not very pleasant. It's not. And if you don't have no teeth, guess what? Teeth will be provided just so you can gnash them. Those who reject Christ do so because they are content with the darkness and because they choose darkness rather than light. They rather be in the light, excuse me, in the darkness. They like it. It's fun. As I said, John, after John 3, 16, for God to love the world, verse 17, God did not, Jesus did not come to uh, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then verse 19, it says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. They love the darkness because their works were evil. They don't want their works to be exposed in the light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and, not, and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so the light... As, as we're talking about right now, and Paul is sharing this, number two, you are to demonstrate this light. See, you used to be in darkness. You were in darkness. Today, you are now to demonstrate the light. Paul says in verse 7, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk. Walk as children of light. It's interesting because this is, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You know, in other parts of scripture, it'll say you are of the light or you are from the light or you have the light. But G Paul used Jesus's term to say, you are the light. You are the light. It is the greatest compliment that Jesus Christ gave mankind. You see, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. I am. And it made sense to the Jewish people what that meant. I am the light of the world. And then he turns it around. And he says, you are the light of the world. And he had just finished giving the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed. And then he says, you know, here's two things I want to tell you. You are salt of the earth. Salt is um, kind of negative in a sense. It irritates. It, it, it takes out uh, stuff. I mean, it, it preserves. But light, what it does, it shines. It exposes. And salt is, is a preservative where light is a, it, it, it's an exposer. It shows what it needs to be seen. With salt, the salt is something that's inside, but light is something on, on the outside. Salt is something that can be hidden and can be tasted and can be, you know, used inside, but it's, and it's savory and it tastes good. But, but light is out there in your face. What Jesus is saying, you've got to be savory, salty, you've got to be great, you've got to preserve, but you also have to be light. You have to be in this dark world. You need to be in this dark world. You are the light. Jesus says, you are a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. To the Jewish people in the first century, well, actually to the Jewish people in general, the city of Jerusalem sat on the mountain uh, that, that was 2,500 feet high. To give you an example, uh, 2,500 feet high is where Jerusalem was at, and uh, Nazareth was about 1,100 feet above sea level. So when people went to Jerusalem, you always went up 
to Jerusalem. And you went up and you had to get up there and, and discover the light and you must be part of this light. And, and this light that Jesus Christ is talking about is you are to get in the light and be the light and you have to stand up on the top of the hill. Jerusalem was known as the city of lights. Jerusalem and the Israelites knew that they didn't light their own light. They were placed there way up on high by God. And it was God who gave them the light and they were to be the light to all the nations. It was like this beacon, this, this uh, tower, this searchlight, the type of light that you have a lighthouse on the cliff so boats wouldn't come in and wreck up against the, the, the cliffs and the, and the shore. And you're supposed to be a light to shine for direction, to come to Jerusalem, to be a part of God's holy city. And when Jesus said, okay, that's Jerusalem, you are the light. He said, you're the light. Now people need to come to you and you are to shine in this brightness, this glory of God and, and radiate God's glory. People ought to know that you have been with God. People ought to know that, that God is shining his glory off of you uh, onto them. And they, they ought to want to and desire to be part of this light. The rest of the, the, the Bible, it says, and that scripture says, people do not, people, uh, the city set on the hill cannot be hidden. That, he, that city up on the hill, it was not hidden. Dr people in Jerusalem said, yeah, you're right. Everybody can see that. It's way up there. And then he says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives its light. Some, pe some people have said, what does that mean? In, in the King James Version says, do not put it under a bushel. What do you mean? Is that like a, a, a male bush? Female busher? What is that? Is that a what is a bushel? A bushel is a containment. It's a it's a um, a measurement, I guess you would say. And here, what what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, don't put the lamp under a basket. This basket, people would put on their light. You see, back then they didn't have candles as much. What they had was a bowl of oil, and in the middle of that bowl there was a little wick. And they didn't have matches like they do today. They didn't have uh, they didn't have lighters and stuff of that nature, so it was hard to keep that light lit if they turned it off. So what they would do, they would take it off of the stand. It would be a big stand, and they would take it off the stand, put it on top of the table, and after they placed it on top of the table, they would cover it. And it would still be lit with the basket, but it would, it would cover it so that nobody else can see inside the house. So when people came home, first thing they did, flipping the light switch was taking the basket off the light. That was their light switch. Because it was dark in the room. And what, what, ha what was happening here was that Jesus says, you don't do that unless you're not going to be there. But when you're in the room, you don't put it on top of the, the light, the candle, the oil lamp. Jesus says, you have to let your light shine. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Number three, you must develop fruit of the Spirit. You must develop fruit of the Spirit. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You must develop the fruit of the Spirit. Excuse me, the fruit of light. We talk, we'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And we've talked about it in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what Paul is saying here is that we ought to walk in this fruit. This fruit that is all good, that is right, and that is true. 
Everything that is good and that is right and that is true. And you, we need to walk in this, this lightness, in the light, not in the darkness. We need to walk in such a way that people can see what is right, what is true, what is good, what is right, and what is true. And as a matter of fact, Jesus warned us of those that might walk in or say they walk as fruit of the light. If, if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, it says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What does he say? You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. You'll know what type of fruit it is. If this is, if this is a person of the light, he will give fruit of the light. All that is good, all that is true, all that is righteous. You'll see that in the person's life. You can say, a person can say that, but you'll see it in the fruit. See, a thorn bush will not give out figs, nor a fig give out thistles, in other words, thorns. It it, it doesn't happen that way. Every tree gives its own fruit. And you'll know what kind of fruit tree it is by the fruit that it develops. So in Colossians chapter 1.10, it says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. A Christian can fall into sin. And when he does, the fruitfulness of his life suffers. You fall into sin, people see it, all of a sudden they say, what kind of a Christian is that? You know, what, 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 your, your fruit is no longer good. It's, it's that, that rotten fruit. And people, you know, I don't want any taste of that. Righteous fruit cannot flourish from sin. Righteous fruit, the, the righteousness, the truth, the, and, and all that is good, it cannot flourish out of sin. In just the same way that sin cannot flourish out of fruit that is good, that is righteous, and that is truth. And so the same thing is true of who we are as Christians. When you are seeped in and when you're developing, you're growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ and you're imitating God, then these are the fruits that you have. And so when you're bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, constantly growing and developing. So Paul says in Colossians 1.10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And the strength comes from Jesus Christ himself. In Ephesians chapter, we read this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, It is by grace that you're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works. You cannot work for it so that no one can boast. I got saved. Look at me. I did it all by myself. No, God gives it to you. And then in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're created, when you're saved, you're created to do good works. In the verse that we read a little while ago, that Jesus says, you are the light of the world, and uh, no city that is lit can be be hidden, neither can a, a light be put under a bushel, you shouldn't do that. You are to do good works in front of people, in front of men. You know why? Not so that they can say, hey, you're doing a good job. They're not, and many people do this, do good things in order to get the credit. You, you see this on Facebook all the time, Instagram, uh, any of these 
posts that are out there. Well, I helped a person cross the street or we fed the hungry. And there's pictures to prove of what they did. You know, I, I did this and I did. And there's pictures and they post it. And I, I, I rescued a dog. And, and oh, my God. You know, I mean, I, I love dogs. I want to give me another dog. I lost my dog. My last dog broke my heart when she died. Uh, you know, I just just thinking about it makes me sad. And I love dogs, you know. And, and Jan, I know you love dogs, too. And uh, we all do. You know, and, and if you find a dog, well, then just take care of it. Do whatever you have to do. But what people have, I've been seeing they're doing is they're, they're posting it. I rescued this dog, and I did this, and I did that. It's kind of like, you know, why even post it? Why take the time to do it? Just do it. You see, when you do your good works, you do them before man. Jesus Christ said so that your Father in heaven can get the glory. That's why you do those things. So that God can get the glory, not you. You do things, and you do these things to help people that are good, that are true, that are righteous. You do these things so that God can get the glory. Not me. Not me. The Christian life, just as every other kind of life, is is only healthy when it's growing. And you have to grow with Jesus Christ. As far as the walk of the believer is concerned, the primary focus is to be concerned about continually trying to discern what, look what Paul says, what is pleasing to the Lord. So we have to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And so how do you do that? Well, if you listen to the world, they're going to lead you astray. If you listen to your friends, unless they're reading out of the scriptures, they're not going to do what you say. I got a, uh, you know, people constantly say, you know, I really appreciate the way you expound on the scriptures. I said, I'm just reading to you what it says. And, and it helps when you try to ple- do what is pleasing to the Lord. You have to discern. You have to think about this. You have to work this through. What pleases God? The darkness and my old life, what pleases me? What pleases my wife? What pleases my children? What pleases my parents, my grandparents? What pleases them? I'm going to do what pleases them. And here's the problem with trying to please everybody. So, some of you might be what I call people pleasers. Don't, don't raise your hand if you are. <laughs> okay. Don't say, yeah, that's me. So, some, some people are called people pleasers. And, and, and the, the, the good thing about that is that, you know, you can, you can get that going. You keep, keep it going for a long time. You can please A and you can please B and then and you're trying to please C. And then when you get to C, A is saying, hey, what about me? You know, or I don't like C. And you say, oh, I'm sorry. And so you come back over here and, and all of a sudden you come to realize you, what? You can't please everybody, right? Isn't that the, what does that saying say? You can please some people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. And when you live a life of trying to please or accommodate or help everyone, I'm not saying not to help everyone, but people are, because of lack of self-esteem, because of lack of confidence in themselves, because of so many different ways, so many different things, people want to get their affirmation from other people. Oh, that was so good of you. Oh, man, you're so great. You're so... And, and what we do, people pleasers, and I, I am one, what people pleasers do, man, I can't believe it. I'm working hard all day long. I'm trying to do this for this group over there. I'm trying to... Man, nobody appreciates what I do. And why do I do it? Stop doing it. No, I can't do that. I got to help everybody. And then, you know, you're in a hole because... And, and then all of a sudden, you, you can't please everybody. You end up getting everybody mad. Live pleasing an audience of one. We need to discern what is pleasing, not to everybody else, but to the Lord. 
When you learn how to please to please the Lord, that number one, when you learn how to do this, everything else falls into place. You know, there's some people that just cannot, should not receive your help. They should not receive what you're trying to help them with. You might be circumventing something God is trying to do in their life to teach them how to have faith, to teach them how to grow their own faith, to teach them how to trust God, to teach them how to fend for themselves. And, and, and to have people in your life that are stunted in their growth because of your constant wanting to please and to help. And you're, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm over there again. They're calling me at three o'clock in the morning and I have to go and I have to do this and I have to do that. And, and OK, well, thank you. I'm glad you're pleased. I'll see you later. And you lost all your sleep. See, God is doing something in everyone's life. And if I keep jumping in there then yeah, I'm going to get burnt out. Yeah, I'm going to get tired. Yeah, I'm going to get frustrated. Yeah, I'm going to feel unappreciated. Why? Because you can never, ever feel that void. That void is so deep. And people are just so needy. And so I came up with this. Well, I didn't come up with this, but I started using this statement. You see, poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Okay? If you really need this help, you'll have to wait till after 830 because in the morning I wake up, I have coffee with my wife and, you know, I've got things going on. And, and, you know, this is like the fourth or fifth time. You just have to wait till I get to the office and I'm going to be there about 9, 930. But I need it now. It's four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, OK, well, you're going to have to wait. You know, don't get me wrong. I have gone out four o'clock in the morning. I have, you know, helped people. But if it's a constant thing with the same person, beloved, you're not doing any good, really. You're just teaching them how to be dependent upon you. That's called being an enabler. So you try to discern what's good, what's righteous, what's truth, and to please only one, and that's God himself. Pleasing God only. Number four, I must disengage with the darkness. I must not participate with the darkness. I must have no part, Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's good not to be part of what's going on out there. But now, if they're a believer and they call themselves a believer, you are to expose the sin in their life. And the first thing they're going to say, who are you to judge? That's the first thing they're going to say. Be ready for it. My response is, oh, are you feeling judged? <laughs> really? Because I'm just showing you. If you say you're a believer and you're a believer and, you, and you're a Christian, then you ought to be walking in the light. You're not walking in the light. I need to show you something. Let me show you the light. I am to be the light, and here's the light. And this is what the Word of God says. When Paul is talking to the people in Corinth, in chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he's talking to the church, mind you. He's talking to the church, and he wrote this letter. Apparently, he got some news. You know, in order to be, give it justice, I have to pretty much read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Part of the scripture is in your outline. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, it is actually reported. <laughs> I, I, I heard this from you guys. Somebody reported this to me. You know, it has actually been reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. You know, even the sinful people won't do this. Even people out in the world don't do this kind of stuff. And it's happening in your church? Really? You know? And, and, and then he goes on to say, For a man has his father's wife. Paul says, 
You, you know, I don't know if I'm appalled that, at the fact that this guy is doing this with his father's wife. I, I don't know if it was his mom. I don't think if it would have been his mom, I'm sure he would have said his mother, probably his stepmother. You know, whatever the case is, the fact that you're doing this, the, you know, I don't know if I'm appalled that this man is doing this with his father's wife or that you guys don't do anything about it. You know, that, that sickens me more than this guy doing it in front of you. You're actually, and Paul is like beside himself. He's like, you can almost hear it in the Greek. I, I can't believe, he, and he goes on to say, and, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather, uh, ought you not rather to mourn? You know, you're arrogant. You guys are talking about, oh, look at this guy, man. He's pretty good. Way to go, guy. Whatever it is. They're arrogant about the whole situation. Paul is saying, I can't believe this. Let him who has done this be removed from among him. And then he goes on to explain that the things that are happening within the church. And Paul says in, in, in verse 12, actually, uh, in your outline, it, it starts in verse 11, but I'm going to read to you verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually moral people, not at all meaning the sexually moral of the world or the greedy or the swindler or idolater. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, you know, don't hang out with these sexually immoral people. You know, and, and what I mean by that is there's sexually immoral people in the world. You're going to have to go to their stores. You're going to have to shop and buy from them if you have to. You're going to have to talk to them. They'll do your taxes or whatever the case may be. You'll know these people. Some of them might even be family members. You know, but don't, don't hang out with them. You have to associate with them, be kind, be, you know, share the gospel. You know, he says this, you know, because if you're not going to hang out with anybody, then you might as well just leave the world because the whole world is like this. He says, not meaning the sexually moral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to just get out of the world. And Paul says, that's not what I mean. He says this, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or violence, he goes on to the list. He says not to associate with them. And then he adds another little piece of the puzzle. I don't even want you to eat with them. If this guy says he's a believer and you guys are arrogant about what he's doing, you know what? Cast him out. Get rid of him. Get him out of the church. Get him out of your fellowship. Don't associate with him. You don't even eat with him. If you guys are going to go out to dinner, don't invite him. If you guys are having a potluck at the church, tell him he can't come. Not in that situation. He's contaminating the congregation. This is the church in Corinth. And then he goes on to say, a little bit later, he says, who am I to judge those outside the church? Are we not to judge those within the church? That is my responsibility, your responsibility. When we say the word judge, all of a sudden it comes up. Earlier I said, you know, when you start talking to people, sharing with them about the light and you share the darkness, their darkness because you have the light. First thing they're going to say is, well, who are you to judge? And you, you can quote them. You can quote them this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and on. Paul says, we're not supposed to judge the people. I can't expect the world to act like the church. But I must expect and demand that the church act like the church. That I must do. That you must do. You must in insist. It is commanded that... Let me go back there again, because I want to make sure that you get this, what, what I'm saying. He says in verse 12, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is not those inside the church whom are, you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. He says, we're not supposed to judge the world. God's going to deal with them. 
And if a person is feeling judged, may, maybe it is because he's not a believer. But if he consists, consistently says, I am a believer, I was saved. I gave my life a long time ago. I raised my hand. I came forward. I asked for forgiveness. I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. I wrote it on my Bible. It's right here. The pastor even said, boom, boom, boom. He said, this is the date that I committed my life to Christ. So there, leave me alone. That's not what Paul said. You know, sexually immoral people shouldn't be associated with. But Paul adds a little bit on that list. Greed or idolatry or reviler. Reviler is someone that just likes to cause trouble. Drunkard or swindler. People that like to take advantage of people. Paul says, don't, don't deal with them. Don't, you know, especially if they call themselves brothers. Really? You're a Christian? He says in 2 Thessalonians, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the traditions that you have received from us. Paul says, don't, if he calls himself a brother, okay, some of you sisters will say, oh good, I'm glad he didn't say sisters. Okay, brothers and sisters, hermanos y hermanas, para los que quieren hablar en español, if you're a believer, once again, walk the walk that you've been called. Walk it worthily, imitate God. And stay away from these type of people. Number five, I must disclose what is in darkness. See, instead of, instead of just not hanging out with them, Paul just put it on blast. You, you guys are proud of this guy that's doing this? Really? And then Paul goes on to say to the people in Ephesus, but instead expose them for it. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. When you sin... It, it will become visible. It'll come out. And when it does, repent. Just repent. Ask for forgiveness and move forward. See, what Paul is talking about here is a, a person that, you know what, that's, that's your problem. I'm okay. You know, I was saved and, you know, I'm not perfect and I'm forgiven. And, you know, as long as I'm all right, I'm on the right track. And, yeah, I might do this. You know, a person that loves his, hers sin. Paul says, expose them. Show them, this is not right. We are, what the, problem, the problem that happens here is that there's so many Christians that are barely able to keep their own spiritual and moral houses in order that they have no discernment or inclination or even power to confront evil in the church or in society at large. And uh, we should be mature in biblical truths and obedience, holiness, and love. The part of the natural course of life to expose, rebuke, and offer the remedy. Not just to point them and put them on blast. You do this because you love them. Look, this is not good. It's dangerous. Especially within the church. I shared a story with the class the other day. And I think I'm safe to share it now. It's been so long ago. Of this person that was living within our church. Or excuse me. Attending our church many years ago. Many years ago, this person was attending our church, and uh, her and her son, they had a three-bedroom apartment, and, and then there was another couple that just lost their place to live in, and they didn't know what they were going to do, and somehow she heard, and she said, well, you know, I, got, I only got my son, and I've got a three-bedroom apartment. You guys can sh- share rent. And, okay, well, we'll share rent. And the reason I shared this, well, I'll tell you here in just a little bit. And, 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 uh, and so anyways, 
It goes, and then all of a sudden there was this huge dispute that he wouldn't pay rent and she wouldn't want them in there. And so me and some brothers of the church went over and tried to intervene and what's going on and you this and that. And, and you know, well, he's smoking pot, you know, and he's smoking pot in the backyard. This is when pot was kind of illegal, you know, and I don't like that kind of stuff. My was, well, she's sleeping around. No, I'm not. I'm not sleeping around. You can't, men in your, in your room, we're only sitting there. We're not doing anything. And it was just this huge, ugly mess. And she sued him and he was suing her and it got into the courts. Then Judge Judy got a hold of it. I don't know if you guys know who Judge Judy is. She called him up and she says, hey, would you guys like to be on my show? Yeah, we'll pay for your flight. We'll pay whoever wins, whoever loses. We'll take care of the, the, the fee, whatever happens. So they go to court and Judge Judy, she's standing there listening to them. Well, he's, he's smoking dope. She's sleeping around and this is going on in the house. And, and you know, we got him from the church. And the, Judge Judy says something to the effect, of, uh, does your pastor know about this? Oh, yeah, he knows about it. I, I, I did not see this episode, to just, just so you're, you're clear. Some of the members of the church saw this episode, and they said, man, it just gave a big black eye to the church. Your pastor knows about this. Okay, remind me not to go to that church. <laughs> it was, and it is, despicable. You see, the church is the bride of Christ, and she should not be defiled. You do not defile a man's bride, let alone the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ needs to stand pure. Not perfect. It's about direction, not perfection. It's about getting closer to God every Sunday. And what Paul says that we need to continue on in number one I, I got to realize that I used to be dominated by darkness that I was I was de- I, I need to demonstrate the light that, that I must develop the fruit of the spirit I must disengage from the world of darkness I must disclose what is in the darkness and, and the last thing I want to share with you I, I need to share the gospel I need to share the gospel this verse right here that Paul uses that comes from Isaiah chapter 60. He says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, he goes on to say, after I just talked to you guys about this, you know, and, and some scholars believe that this was a song that they used to sing. This, some, some scholars believe that this was a, a, an invitation, a message of salvation. Some scholars believe that the reason Paul put this in there is because there might have been people in the congregation that didn't know the light, that were living in the darkness, were convicted by what Paul had just said, and they needed to hear that they are are okay because you were at one time that and some of the people in the congregation were probably thinking you know I don't want to be that I want to be in that were category I want to get out of that and come into the R category I am light I want to get out of that and Paul uses this he says awake O sleeper and arise from the dead remember in chapter 2 of Ephesians Paul says you were dead and your trespasses, following the way of this world that was operated and run by the God of this world, the prince of this world. You were dead. You were dead. You were dead. If this message makes sense to you here in the congregation, anywhere out in Facebook land or wherever you might be at from, if you are hearing this message and you're wondering, how do I get out of that? Well, the Bible says, arise, get up, get up, repent, repent from that life of darkness. Take that off. And walk as a child of light. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He will give you the light. You don't have to 
force the light. You don't have to figure out the light. You don't have to turn on the light. You don't have to do anything. Christ gives you the light. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here. He's trying to say, this is the time. Right now is the time. If this darkness, if this message means anything to you, if it has any effect on you, then the Holy Spirit is convicting. Do not close your eyes to it. Rise up. Get up. And come to Jesus Christ. Because that is your only remedy for this dark world. Otherwise, as we will find out, the wrath of God is upon you. And salvation comes to those who recognize and see the light. And you say, salvation from what? What am I being saved from? You are literally being saved from God himself. God is unleashing his wrath upon the, upon the ungodly. There's only two, God and Satan. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. That's it. There's no in-between. And you can't say, okay, well, I'll go over later, you know, and after I die, I'll see if they'll let me in. No. It's now. The Bible says man is destined to die once and then be judged. And that's it. There's no coming back from that. You see the light, run toward it. Run to what Jesus Christ has given to you. Let me ask you to stand. Father, a message like today challenges us in such a way that causes us to make changes in our life and our relationships with our friends, with our children, with our family. It causes us to make changes. And Lord, we are to be obedient. And this is why I must remember that I was dominated by darkness. That's why I must understand and demonstrate the light. This is why I must develop fruit of the light. This is why I must disengage from the darkness. And I must disclose it and I must declare the gospel. This is why I have to do this, because it is your word, not mine. It's your instruction. And I thank you, Lord, for those that are here and listening online, that we are learning how to disengage. We are learning how to be light. We are learning on what is the next step. And every Sunday, every day that we dive into your word, I pray, God, that you help us. You help us become closer to you and become more and more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we are to imitate you. And this message seems to have a, and I pray, a, a salvific, is a salvific message where people come to the saving knowledge of who you are. That the conviction that the Holy Spirit is impressing on people's hearts, that they remember and repent and return. And for those of us that have fallen and, and, and seem like it never seems to end, Father, give us the wisdom to walk a different way. Instead of walking down that same street to take a detour and walk closer to you. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot make this up. There is no way that I can make the light shine in my own life. That is something that happens in direct correlation when I'm associated with you. And so, Father, I thank you for for your love, for your protection, your guidance up to this point. And I know that you're going to continue to help us to grow. I pray for those that are contemplating the change in their life, that they take take the first step of baptism and follow you in obedience. For those that are contemplating this change in their life, that they, they commit to membership, either to this church or to another, to a church that is going to teach them biblical principles of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that those that are willing to make the change 
that start to be involved in this ministry. As this ministry grows and the children come and the kids and, and the adults that we minister to each one. Teach us to have that love and compassion for others that are homebound and they're not able to make it. Teach us to have the love and compassion for the brethren and sisters that sometimes can't make it for whatever reason. And Lord, I know that every person here can give of their time. They can give of their financial support as well. And I pray, God, that you, you help each person do so according to their own means. But every one of us can contribute our life, our love, and our care for each other as you grow us to develop more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've given us. And thank you, God, that you're continually with us. You are in the midst, healing and making a way, keeping your promises. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen and amen. All right.